This episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody, anywhere in the world, invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. You too can become an angel investor. Republic believes talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. For more information and to find out how you too can become an angel investor, go to republic.co. That's republic.co. Hello and welcome to Converge, a tech podcast that is also the song of the summer. My name is Casey Newton. I'm Silicon Valley editor of The Verge. And today on the show, I'm bringing you one of France's most important exports, Mathilde Collin. Now, this is going to be a show for all my productivity nerds out there. And I know you're out there. Have you ever downloaded a new to-do list app and then not done any of the things you added to the list and then downloaded a different to-do list app just because it looks pretty? Do you have specific opinions about email notifications? Would you get in a fistfight arguing that Asana is better than Trello? Well, folks, I've done all of those things except getting in a fistfight. It was really more of a slap fight and I lost. But the, the point is... I love this stuff, okay? And Mathilde does too. She's a co-founder and CEO of an app called Front, and she's trying to reinvent your work email. You know, you've probably heard of Slack, the super fast-growing, highly-valued company that lets you chat all day with your colleagues at work. Well, Mathilde says that Slack is basically just a synchronous version of Front. In other words, Slack is an app that assumes everyone is paying attention to the chat window almost all the time, where Front is asynchronous. It assumes you're doing other work most of the time, and it saves those messages for you when you're ready to get to them. So both of these companies are trying to reinvent work email and make us more productive, but Mathilde says Front gets closer to the way people actually want to work. And the kicker is that Stuart Butterfield, the CEO of Slack, he's a big investor in Front. So no matter which one of these ideas is right, Stuart Butterfield is a big winner. And I can't wait to find out who's right. So listen, I think you're going to enjoy hearing from Mathilde, who has tons of ideas about the differences between business in France and America, why schools need to be reinvented, and how she manages her own inbox. And in the wildcard round of this episode, I make her improvise a series of emails using some of the worst cliches known to man, and then she makes me do the same thing. It is a very good time, and with that... It is time to play Converge. It's time for another game of Converge, the show that is easy to win, but not impossible to lose. Each week, we bring on some of Silicon Valley's most fascinating personalities, and they compete to see how high they can go on the all-time Converge leaderboard. My guest today is Mathilde Collin, co-founder and CEO of Front, a company that lets businesses create shared email inboxes to handle their communications better. Front began at Y Combinator in 2014 and now has more than 2,500 customers. And in January, it raised a $66 million round of fundraising from Sequoia. Mathilde, thank you for joining us on Converge. Casey, thank you for having me. Have you been on a game show before? It's my first time. All right. You know what? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get into it. Converge, of course, consists of three rounds, the big idea, the interview round, and the wild card round. And with that, it is time to get started. 
Now, the first game we play on every episode of Converge is The Big Idea. I asked you ahead of time to bring in your biggest and best idea of a non-self-promotional nature, and we'll pick it apart to see what's inside. Points will be awarded on the basis of originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with it. Mathilde, what is your big idea? So, my big idea is new schools. New schools. I need to tell you the story of my big idea. So you sent me this email asking me, prepare a big idea. And I had two immediate reactions. The first one was, I hate it. Like, you you hated my, my email. I hate it. Yeah. I'm super bad at it. The second one was, I love challenges. So let's do it. Nice. So then I was looking for great ideas. Right. And I think I found a few of them and discarded all of them. So then I was like, <laughs> I will just not have anything interesting to say. Well, now I feel bad that I put you through all of this, it's, but I'm excited to see wh where so it ended up. You shouldn't feel bad because the thing that I realized was it's a, a pretty open exercise, like just find anything interesting. And I was exactly. like, I can't find anything interesting. So I had a million reasons to feel bad, right? But I felt great. Yeah. And the reason is because I think I'm someone that knows really well my strengths and weaknesses. And I think... Finding a big idea and coming in a shirt is not a, is not a strength, it's a weakness. So that led me to my big idea, which is I think that schools today are terrible at helping people know themselves and they're really good at helping people know things. And I think that's the biggest miss opportunity of the next generation. Interesting. So let's dig into this. So Great. schools are bad at helping people know themselves. Uh, you know, I guess my first question is, well, you know, what does it mean to know yourself and how could a school help you do that? Yeah, sure. So I think there are no things versus know yourself. So nothing means there is a level of proficiency that you need to reach and the school will help each student get through that. Reason why it's not working is because if you're very up or very down on this level, then you don't benefit from it. Know yourself, however, is just who you are, what are your strengths and weaknesses, and now improve on these things. So what I'm hearing you say is that education needs to become more personalized to the individual student. Right. So you doubt about the ROI and it's super, it's super costly, right? Right. Right. Have not you given this some thought? I have. So I think it's also the best investment you can do because when you think about all the things that you cannot buy in life with money, like curing cancer or reverting climate change or reducing traffic jam or all these things, I think these are coming from better research, which comes from better education, and that's come from better schools. So I don't think that there can be a better idea than mine. Right. So it, it might be expensive, but it's worth investing in. You know, right. I, uh, I don't know if you've heard, uh, familiar with the Summit Schools. Um, I wrote a story about them a couple years ago when Mark Zuckerberg started um, to build sort of custom personalized learning software as kind of a nonprofit effort inside of Facebook. And so they're now working with a handful of charter schools to do exactly this kind of personal learning. So instead of these big lecture classes that everyone is used to, you open up your laptop or you pick up your tablet and wherever you happen to be in the lesson, it sort yeah. of gets you to that point. And so there are plenty of group activities and you're able to participate in projects with your other students. But when when it comes time to take a test, you really are kind of working at your own pace. That's awesome. Does that sound like the kind of thing you'd be into? I would be into. If I was not the CEO of Front, I would be a teacher <laughs> and I would 
work that way. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that would be your your next thing. So I want to dig in on this. You say you know you you know yourself really well. You know your strengths and weaknesses. Like like what if maybe one of your your your, strength, your weaknesses. You know you sort of feel like you you had a hard time with the big idea round. Like what like look what are your what are your strengths that you sort of lean on as a CEO? I think the biggest one is I'm very self aware. So I think. If you want a specific strength, I think I'm probably really good at people and relationships. I mean, I can tell you more if you want. Those, those are two. I mean, those are two like very, very solid strengths. And Thank do you, you feel like you realized that like when you were still of school age, or did you come to that later in life? Like, how, like how much of your idea is rooted in the experiences that you had uh, in school? And I think the school's inference are terrible, and so I didn't. I don't think they helped me figure that out. So I think building this company is really what helps me discover who I am and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. There's something about starting a really difficult project, and a company, you know, might be one of the most difficult projects there is. That I do think sort of uh, forces you to figure out your strengths and yeah. uh, glaringly magnifies all of your weaknesses. Yeah, so. <laughs> and I think there is absolutely no room to lie to yourself, and so that's why. I think you learn so much about you. That's interesting because I feel like CEOs lie to themselves all the time. I feel like most of what I write about is CEOs lying to themselves. Oh, uh, really? I, so I strongly disagree. I yeah. think that if you lie to yourself, you're set up for failure. And I think if you can be super honest with yourself and your team about what's going well, what's not going well, what you're good at, not good at, then I think that's a first step that's super important in order to do well. Right. All right. So, as you know, uh, one of the ways we evaluate big ideas is by profit potential. Yeah. And so I need to ask are you in Envisioning these schools as for-profit or non-profit? Uh, f- non-profit, high ROI. High ROI. So the society is going to get a high return on their investment right. from these schools, um, and and profits may come to the society. Exactly is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you need to give me a good. Great. I should give you a good score. Yeah. All right, we 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 discourage the guests from working the host, but, <laughs> but I, I respect the the hustle. Uh, also, a good CEO strength. So, all right. So, the big idea is developing new schools that place a higher emphasis on knowing yourself and getting beyond the mere facts on the page, and that will bring us to the end of the big idea round. And so, it's time to score to you now. Originality. As I mentioned, I have had a chance to write about schools that are not unlike the ones that you mentioned, and frankly, they seem to be doing very well. I'm going to give you a a six on that, a solid six points. Great. Presentation was amazing, and here's why it was amazing, because you began by saying that you had trouble with the big idea, which created an immense empathy in me, and I was rooting hard for you. And so when you came up with what was actually a really good idea, it sounded even better. So I'm giving you an aid on presentation. Profit potential, this one's going to be harder. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> you suggested a nonprofit, but that's fine. You know, people can play Converge any way they want to, and that's the magic of the show, is that there's more than one way to win. So for profit potential, I'm giving it a three. And do I, yeah, and do I agree with it? And here's it. Do I agree with it? Uh, I actually really do. When I went down to these schools that have implemented uh, technology and a system not unlike the one you described, I had a chance to talk to the students. Uh, They could not have been more excited about it. So I would love to see more schools attempt what you mentioned. So I'm giving you a 10. Yay! And now it's time to tabulate your score for the idea round. You scored 27 points. Is it great? That is a very good score to take into the second round. 27 points to Matilde Collin, 
And that brings us to the interview round. The round where you attempt to charm our listeners in a way that burnishes your personal brand and improves your standing as a thought leader. Matilde, you run Front. Describe Front in two sentences for people who might not have had a chance to use it yet. Uh, Front is reinventing email for businesses. So specifically, it's made it easy for teams to collaborate and integrate email with the tool that they use. That is a great description of it. My understanding is that many businesses, particularly tech businesses, will set up inboxes like contact at converge.biz or press at converge.biz. By the way, I don't own that URL, and now I wish I did. But so people will set up these inboxes, and I don't know how they were doing it before, but you make an app now, so where everybody who is on that team, you're on the press team, the contact team, the whatever team, you can see all those emails in one place, multiple people can respond to it, and it kind of all gets tracked and organized. Is that accurate? That's 100% accurate. And not only it works for email, but also for any other communication channel that you use. So, for example, if you have a shared Twitter account or uh, Facebook account or phone number or text messages, live chat, anything. So, there's can... like a million different ways, if you run a business right now, for people to get in touch with you. And it can become bewildering to just stay on top of all of it. And so, people right. hire you to sort of like get this high-level view of what are customers screaming at me at any given time. This is correct. Okay, great. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, and I'm, I'm, a lot of my questions are going to focus about email because I'm weirdly fascinated by it. I used to be. I am as well. Okay, cool. <laughs> then this is going to be good great. because I loved email, and then I sort of like fell out of love with email. Yeah. And now I feel like I'm falling back in love with email because of Slack. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll sort of get into all of that. But what I, where I wanted to start was. I've read on the internet, and maybe you've read some of these articles too, but people say that millennials hate email. And I don't, I don't know exactly how old you are, but you're, you're a younger founder. 29. 29, right? So I think that, that places you firmly in the millennial camp. And you have founded a, a business that I believe started with email. So where did this idea come from? Like, like how did you get so interested in this? Yeah, so I mean, the idea comes from a previous experience that I had in a company where I was using email every day. So it was a software company. We were doing a contract management software. It was great. I really enjoyed changing how some people were working, but I wasn't passionate about contracts. And I was every day using email to get work done. And I was very frustrated to see that it was highly inefficient. So then I quit this company to fix it. Right. And um, give, can you give us a quick example of like what breaks uh, in this process? When, of email? Yeah. I mean, anytime you try to collaborate and you CC, BCC, forward, reply, all, etc., you create multiple versions of a conversation. So then the probability that either you'll make a mistake or some emails will fall through the cracks or two people will reply at the same time is high, and so we prevent everything from happening. That's one. But on the other side, I also think that the experience of email is not delightful or fun, and so it's not. That's something that we try to to make better as well. Right. About millennials, if yeah. you want, I think that few things. One, I think that the future of email of personal emails is very different from the future of work emails. And I think that when I was a kid, maybe I was using email for personal and professional communication. And I think today for personal communication, email will go away. And instant messaging and Facebook, Snapchat, etc., I think will replace it. And that's why you hear very often from millennials, we hate email. But in the workplace, I don't think that's the case. 
Yeah, because there still winds up being just all sorts of ways that it's useful in, in ways that it no longer is in our personal lives. Presumably yeah. because if you want to message a business, like the chances are that I'm going to send you a Snapchat to address it are just very low, right? Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have two tabs. Like the first two tabs in my browser at all times are my work uh, email yeah. and my personal email. Yeah. And yet I probably look at my personal email like once a day if that like there's really no yeah, reason yeah. for it even to be open all day anymore for me. Yeah, same. I don't I don't check it out. Which app do you use? Uh Gmail. Okay. Yeah, but you know, hey, I'm here so you can sell me on your company a little bit if you want. But not right now because <laughs> I have another question. Okay, cool. So, you started this company in France, where you're from, and recently the French president, Mr. Macron, uh, held a tech summit where he promoted France as a destination for tech startups. So, I wanted to ask you why build your company in the United States and and not in France? Sure. So first of all, I think so. I moved four years ago, and I think that the tech scene in France four years ago it was very different from now. Hmm. Uh, so everything that I will say applies to France and Paris four years ago. Um, so the story is, I started in France. I had no idea I would come here. I actually had never been outside Europe when I started France. So, but when I launched the product, most people that were interested in our product were here in the U.S. So one day I flew here and I just wanted to talk to people that were interested with what we were doing. And I came here for 10 days. And I think the thing that I loved was there was a huge amount of positivity and enthusiasm that I think makes a huge difference when you're starting something new. And so when people ask me why I moved, I didn't move because talents or investors or partners or customers were here. I moved because I felt happier here. Huh. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's like this stereotype of... Um like French business life, which is that it is maybe less optimistic about right. the future and maybe more <laughs> suspicious of, right. uh, of an entrepreneur. I mean, did you encounter that sort of thing as you would talk about your idea? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, anytime I was talking about innovating in the email space, everyone was telling me, if it was a good idea, then uh, Google would have done it. And I was like, thank <laughs> you, it's super helpful. Uh, so that's one. Two, anytime I was talking to a company about managing their emails, they were like, okay, cool, how many companies do you work with? None yet. (laughs) And they're like, okay, no way. Um, Whereas here, I feel like most of the uh, bigger companies have been small just a few years ago. In France, it's not the case. Like most of the big companies have existed forever. And so then I think they're less likely to take any risk. Right, to take a risk like that. So you went through Y Combinator. Did you start that pretty soon after you moved here? Yeah, just I, I actually moved for YC. You, mo- you moved here to do YC. And so something that I think about that, that is really interesting about Y Combinator, which if you're not familiar with it, it's this very prestigious accelerator here in Silicon Valley. Uh, and it starts a lot of companies that make business software. And one reason why it seems like a lot of these businesses succeed is because because as you are starting your product, you get to email every other Y Combinator founder in history and say, hey, I started this new thing. Do you want to try it? And then like a ridiculous number of them say, sure. And then the next thing you know, you have like your first hundred customers. Like, is that basically what happened with you? Uh, I don't know. So I think we're not technically allowed to email all the founders. Oh, okay. I definitely did it. Um, YC was a customer of ours. <laughs> So then I use that as a subject line. Uh, but yeah, no, it's true that I, I think the, the network is super strong and definitely got us to our first customers. Right. Uh, so, you know, you, you mentioned that, that things were different in France four years ago. Uh, do, do you have the sense that it is it is different now? Yeah. Um, is it is it easier to start a company there? Yeah, so it is uh, easier. We just opened an office in Paris at the beginning of the year, so January. Uh, we already have 10 people there. And so there are many things that are easier, but just one simple thing that I noticed is 
to start a company, you have a lot of administrative work in France, and now you have a software for everything, like to create your company, to run payroll, to write contracts, to blah, blah. And that makes things like 10 times simpler. Uh, and then having funding is easier, people get more interested, so talent pool is bigger. So yeah, everything is simpler. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So good good news for France. Um, yeah. So let's get back to this subject of email that I said I want to talk about. A lot of people I know, email fills them with dread. They never want to look at their inbox. Uh, how how do you feel about it? And more importantly, like how do you approach it day to day? Yeah. Like, are you constantly in your inbox? Do you do you batch all of your your tasks? Like how do you do it? So first of all, I don't have any notifications, so I make sure that I'm not distracted uh, by email. So I have some email time, and when I have some email time, and that's what I love about email. It's the fact that it's asynchronous, and I think that's why. Why it will remain. Two, I think that at the end of the day, people don't hate email because of the protocol. I think it's actually a good protocol, but they hate it because the interface are not great. And if you look at Gmail today and you look at Gmail 10 years ago, it's pretty much the same. And so what we're trying to do is just better interface with better features. And so what I do is I have this email time, I reach inbox zero, and then go back to work, email time, inbox zero, go back to work. How many times a day are you doing that? I've checked and I spend 10% of every day uh, doing email, so it's not a lot of time. Okay, that's interesting. You know, I think it's going to blow some people's minds that you have no notifications turned on for email. I also have turned off notifications for email, and it has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever given myself. I think people do not realize that if it's really important, no one is going to email you. I know, right? They're going to call you. They're going to text you. Exactly. So I've removed them on desktop and mobile. It's incredible. It's like, it's seriously, like if somebody was like, what is your number one life hack? I would tell them, turn off your email notifications. I would tell them something else, which is during the weekend, I now uninstall my email app. Really? So that I can't check them. Wow. That's so cool. Good for you for like a I that, uh, I think it's probably rare that a CEO would would do that. But yeah. is the reason that if something is on fire somebody t- texts you or calls you contacts you in exactly. a way. And I think it's just like I have a hard time not checking it, so then it just prevents me from checking it. All right, that's a very very interesting approach to email. I myself have really only been responding to emails about once a week, like on Friday afternoons is sort of when I feel like I can really dig in. Does it horrify you that I'm that slow to respond to most people who email you? Not really. I think it's fine. I think as soon like I think the discipline like uh, is something that I value most than the response time. Like if I had a reply right away all the time, I would think that you're not a super efficient person. I hear you. I hear you. So it's it's sort of more important that you have a routine than necessarily right. what your routine is. Yes. So you know, some people might hear that you're making uh, this this software and and wonder, you know, is this really that big of a business to help people manage the way they're looking at these business communications? But I read an interview with you where you said that your vision is bigger than Slack. So, so did I read that right? And if so, like, tell me about this vision. <laughs> uh, sure. So a few things. One is we started with shared email addresses as just a wedge to enter the market. But then if you think about any email that you're receiving, not in a shared inbox, but on Casey at Converge. Yes, for example. For example. They also require collaboration. You also want a better interface. Sometimes you want integrations with other tools. And so front being a tool that any knowledge worker could use when they deal with email instead of Gmail and Outlook is a pretty big market because everyone uses email. So then once front is installed on everyone's computer, then I think we have a big opportunity because one of the things that's happening with software today is you have a lot of softwares that are 
specifically affixing one issue. And so then as your company is growing, you end up with so many softwares that you're using. Right. And information gets fragmented. Uh, and I think it's not great for many reasons. And everything at a point has a link with email, whether with an email contact or an email file or an email word. Yeah. And so our vision is to be what we call an enterprise operating system. So it means that other apps will be connected to your inbox. And so then you'll have one login and then every you'll have one single source of truth and your systems will talk to one another and work together. And I think that's, if you're building a software, I don't think that there is an opportunity that can be bigger than that. Right. If you talk to Slack, they talk about becoming this kind of command hub for your organization where you open up Slack and it's integrated with all of the other apps that you use and you open it up and you see everything that's happening across you know, GitHub and your Twitter replies and your, your Google documents. And, but Slack is like the beating heart of your workplace. I feel like you described something really similar. Like yeah. You want people to open up front and anything that's happening with any of the apps that you're using in your business, it's sending in notifications and you can sort of see them all from front. Right. So here is what's different. Slack is synchronous. So it means that if I send you a message on Slack, then you'd rather reply right away. Otherwise, there is no way for you to put it in a folder or to deal with it later. And my belief is that where work happens, which is what Slack says, mm -hmm. is actually in your inbox and is actually asynchronous. And so I think that for sure at a point there will be a platform and a communication platform and everything will uh, be connected to it. Now, like I think that it will be coming from something that's asynchronous and not synchronous. Right. So we've really sort of set up a battle between you and Slack, which is interesting because the Slack founder, Stuart Butterfield, is an investor. Right. And, and I'm you, having with drinks company. with him next weekend. Okay. So if you could release this podcast after. <laughs> yeah, um, we're going to do that. We're going to withhold that to make sure that you're able to and have I, I a think nice he's time. amazing. <laughs> but you guys must have like philosophical debates about like what is the best way to run a, a workplace communication. Exactly. Hub. And we've had that for the past four years. Yeah. And we disagree, but I think I'm right. That's right. Well, and he didn't disagree with you enough that he wasn't willing to put some money into your company. Right. All right. Well, I'm excited to see how this <laughs> shakes out. So let me ask you about one of my pet ideas, which you might not care about at all, uh, and that's fine. I but do. I sort of think that email is going to be really important in the near future of media. You know, something I write about a lot is the collapse of trust in some of the algorithmic feeds in our lives. So, like the Facebook feed, the Twitter feed, a place where a lot of sort of People who are news junkies were getting their information. Now we're a little bit less sure. Who put that there? Is that really a Russian agent? That sort of thing. And so more people I know, particularly in, in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, are getting more of their news via email newsletters. They go find a trusted source. It arrives maybe once a day, once a week. They can read it at their leisure. They don't have to go out and find it. It just sort of comes to them. And they're making themselves smarter by sort of rebuilding the morning newspaper or the afternoon newspaper by reading emails. So my first question for you was, are you getting any of your news this way? Like, are you uh, a big newsletter subscriber yourself? Yeah, I actually do. So I think you're right. Have you, and do you, have you found that you've subscribed to like more newsletters over the past year than maybe you did the previous couple? Or has this been a, a longstanding thing for you? Uh, a longstanding thing for me. Okay. Um, any favorite newsletters you want to shout out or like where you're getting a lot of good mm, stuff? I mean, I work a lot. So like I really like uh, what First Round Capital is doing. Mm. Like that's, I think, some high quality content. So First Round's a, a venture capital firm has a good newsletter. That's a good one. Oh, well, if you heard that sound... 
That means it's time for the lightning round. In the lightning round, your job is to answer as many of these questions as you can in 60 seconds. You are allowed to pass, but should you do so, you will forfeit the question. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Mathilde, what is your preferred email sign-off? Take care. Uh, Hint water or LaCroix? LaCroix. Preferred flavor? Mango. How many emails do you get a day? 233. What's, that is incredibly specific. What's something that should definitely be on the blockchain? Email. What should I do in Paris when I go there this summer? Eat. How can we encourage more women to start companies? Uh, I should do this podcast. Okay, <laughs> agreed. Should it be illegal to write someone and just say, hey, just bumping this to the top of your inbox? No, treason. Uh, treason, great. Uh, last show you finished on Netflix? Uh, I don't watch any show. <laughs> All right, last good book you read? It's uh, An Interrupted Life. Who wrote it? Uh, E.T. Ilsum. Very good. If Google Duplex calls you, do you think it should let you know that it's a bot? No. Uh, do you have a go-to Spotify playlist? Yes. What is it? Uh, it's called Emoji Bug. And just like that, your time has come to an end. Going to count your points. 27. 11. 13 points are awarded to Mathilde at the conclusion of the second round. A very high score. Jeremy... But I'm uh, French, I have a handicap. No, no, that's a very good score. Cool. We've, we've had lower scores. Great. Once again, this episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anyone become an angel investor. Anywhere in the world, you can invest in promising new startups with as little as 10 bucks. Silicon Valley is an amazing place. It's fostered world-changing startups for decades, but it has its limitations. It's held back by things like geography, philosophy, and sometimes a lack of diversity. Republic believes that talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. 45% of funds raised in 2017 went to female-founded companies, and 25% went to African-American-founded companies. For the rest of the VC world, that was just 12 and 2% respectively. Until 2016, only the wealthiest 3% of individuals were allowed to invest in startups. But that all changes. You can start becoming an angel investor with as little as 10 bucks by heading to republic.co. That's republic.co. Now we come to the wildcard round. In the wildcard round, we reach into the Convergitron 5000 to play a game generated by some of the world's most sophisticated algorithms. Earlier today, we selected but her emails. Now in but her emails, the goal is to improvise the best emails using the worst sentences. Before us are two decks of cards. You will draw a card from the first deck that contains a terrible sentence that frequently appears in emails. You will then draw a second card that contains a situation about which you might email someone. Your job is to verbally compose a brief message that justifies the use of the terrible sentence. I will evaluate your answers on originality, presentation, and whether you justify the use of the terrible sentence. Then the tables will turn, and I will verbally compose an email for you. We will repeat this process until I tire of it. Do you have any questions? No, I'm super excited. Me too. Now we have two decks of cards. Draw from each deck. Cool. Let's see the terrible sentence. Click here to unsubscribe. And applying for a job I'm way underqualified for. This is a very good challenge, and I would now like to hear a brief message containing that sentence. Great. Hi, Casey. Sending you an email for the CFO position in your 
a public company. Mm-hmm. I graduated a year ago. Um, I did an internship in a bank, so um, I think I'm a great fit for the role. Mm-hmm. Click here to unsubscribe. I'm now obligated to write this in every email I sent because of this GDPR thing (laughs) that I don't know about but that I've heard about a thousand times in the past 20 hours. Take care, Mathilde. Very good. Very good. That was a... Okay, that exceeded my expectations. Uh, Excellent job. Now, uh, I will draw two cards. The sentence. Oops, I think I forgot the attachment. Grimacing face emoji. And the (laughs) situation... Letting everyone in the office know there's birthday cake in the break room. <laughs> so, this is going to be great. Um, hey all, we are so excited to celebrate Matilde's birthday. And I'm just letting you know that there is some chocolate cake in the break room. Oops! I think I forgot the attachment. Here is a photo of the birthday cake. Get it while it's hot. Love, Casey. <laughs> All right. Another one down from me. Now, Matilde, reach back into the pile. Cool. Can we reschedule to next week? And the situation. Reporting a forgotten item to lift. <laughs> okay, great. So, looking forward to hearing this email. So, hi, Lyft. I was about to do my laundry and forgot about... Uh, this I forgot the quarter mm-hmm. in the lift. It's terrible. I need to schedule an appointment to to get it back. Although I'm very busy, so can we reschedule to next week? Maybe take care. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love that. It's like you you needed to do your laundry. You needed your quarters back, but you don't have time right now. Right. But you need to send some sort of email. Right. All right. So I'm you're, just rescheduling. I've said you're proving to be unexpectedly good at this. I was hoping to sure. give you more trouble. All right. Now I'm drawing to the sentence. I assure you this is not spam. The situation, (laughs) hiring a new chief financial officer. (laughs) Great. Uh, Dear Mathilde, as you may know, I've recently started a new podcast called Converge. And our previous chief financial officer was recently convicted of mail fraud. And as a result, I need to find someone who I can actually trust with the books. I assure you this is not spam. It would be weird if I sent this email to more than one person. <laughs> so if you're interested in a new role at a fast-growing podcast, please hit me back. Sincerely, Casey. Another one down. Cool. Now, number three for Matilde. Fighting a parking ticket. Mm-hmm. Just want to bump this to the top of your inbox. <laughs> sure. Hi, Casey. Yeah. Just want to bump this to the top of your inbox. Mm-hmm. For the 10th time um, this week, I've had yet another um, parking ticket. Mm. Please remove it. It's been too much. Take care. You know, I, a lot of people who had emailed me 10 times about trying to fix their parking ticket would be a lot more upset than you were. Yeah. I'm very upset, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, it did come through in the email, but maybe it's better to sort of take a more chill approach. I'll, I'll be more upset in my next email. Okay, very good. Very good. Now it's time for my next email to you. Cool. Uh, the sentence, uh, I think the video conference link is not working, and ask, 
asking people to clean the dirty dishes in the break room sink. <laughs> and, and we should point out to people that we both wrote uh, these questions and cards, and so uh, this is a sort of beautiful collision of two people's ideas <laughs> about what sort of emails they get and what sort of situations that they, they have to do. So uh, this one is a mashup of your idea and mine. So once again, I think the video conference link is not working and asking people to clean their dirty dishes in the break room sink. All right, uh, so my email is, um, hello all. Uh, thank you for uh, attending this webinar uh, about office upkeep. As you know, uh, we've recently had an outbreak of people not doing their dishes in the kitchen, and it's out of control, and I need you to all be adults, and I need you to take care of this. Uh, oh, I actually, I'm sorry, someone just told me, I think the video conference link is not working. And so we're going to have to reschedule the webinar. Actually, why are we even having a webinar? About, the more that I think about it, this could have just been an email where I told people to clean up their dishes in the sink. So do that. Sincerely, Casey. Casey. Very good. All right. Your move, Colin. Oh, asking a reporter for an interview mm -hmm. or an article. For an article, yeah. Pitching, you know pitching a reporter. You know what I'm talking about? I've updated my privacy policy. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Another GDPR-flavored uh, message for the email. Dear Casey, I've updated my privacy policy, and I'm now allowed to share anything about me. Mm. That's why I'm asking to, to be featured in your next article. I can say anything. Sincerely. Matt, <laughs> he's crying. <laughs> I'm crying. I just, I love the idea of a founder emailing me saying that, look, I would have pitched you before, but the only thing holding me back was the general data <laughs> protection regulation that recently went into effect in Europe. Um, but now that I'm free of that, I can invite you to write about my company. That Are you beautiful. going to? That was beautiful. Yeah, now I am. Now oh, great. Am. Yeah. All right. I'm doing doing one. We're, we're sort of nearing the end here. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple more. Nice to e-meet you and telling your family you're not coming home for Christmas. Wow. <laughs> this is going to be a real challenge. Man. Okay. I'm going to dig deep here. Uh, hey, everyone. And to my new sister-in-law, who you know I haven't had a chance to see in person yet, nice to e-meet you. Um, I wish I were riding with better news. But due to the viral success of my new hit show, Converge, I'm unable to come home for Christmas, as we will be recording episodes through the holiday season. You're welcome to video conference me in. Uh, and in the meantime, please uh, do those dishes in the kitchen. <laughs> Love, Casey. All right. I think we're down to the final two. Mathilde, your move first. Applying for a mortgage with your bank. Okay. Cool. And what is the sentence? Sign up to attend this free webinar. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, Casey. I want to apply for a mortgage. I've been unemployed for a few years. However, I'm onto a big idea because I've signed up to many free webinars and I've learned so much that I know it's actually the best move for you. Please grant me this mortgage. Sincerely. Mathilde. Did you actually say sign up for the free webinar? Yeah. All right. No, maybe not. You don't, no, that's fine. You, don't, you only get one chance, but I noted that down in my score. <laughs> All right. Finally, the sentence, I recently have come into a very large sum of money and the situation asking Mark Andreessen for advice. So here's what I would say. Dear Mark, 
My name is Casey. I'm a millennial content creator, and I recently came into a very large sum of money, and I need to know where to invest it. Do I just give it to you to invest in other companies, or should I do it myself? I don't know. Mark, you've had a lot of hit investments over the years. Would love to know what you think I should do with this giant sack of cash. Please get in touch. My assistant will help coordinate. Sincerely, Casey. Bonus points. Boom! And with that, we have reached the scoring portion of Butter Emails. <laughs> Matilde, I will now score you on originality. I have to give you a nine. You actually wrote your own cards, which I should say was not which was not uh, required, but you actually brought in your own cards to use with mine, so that was fantastic. Presentation, uh, I am also giving you a nine, because uh, I was crying laughing at one point, so that was very good. <laughs> And finally, did you justify it? Uh, I'm going to give you an eight there just because there was that one thing about <laughs> the webinar that I don't think we quite nailed. But on the whole, a uh, very, very good 26 points for the final round. And I now invite you to judge me and be merciless. You will not hurt my feelings. What would you give me on originality? Originality, I would give you... Eight. Eight. It definitely got better at the end. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Presentation. Presentation, nine. You're amazing. I appreciate that. Nine plus. Finally, did I justify the use of the sentences? Nine as well, because once you've used two cards instead of one. That's right. I pulled in a bonus card there on that one. Very good. So that gives me a total of 26. What a coincidence. We tied in the wildcard round, but now I will add your points from the previous two rounds and we'll see how it shakes out. Matilde, today on Converge, I scored 26 points and you scored 66 points, which makes you the winner of today's game of Converge. Congratulations. Thank you so much. When you sat down here today, did you ever think it was going to go quite like this? Not at all, but I loved it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I had a very good time, and I look forward to our continued conversations about the future of email. Matilde Collin, thank you for making content with me. Thank you so much for having me. That's today's show. My thanks to guest Mathilde Collin, one of the best things France has given this country since the Statue of Liberty. Mathilde, while you may have defeated me today, I now have your email address and I plan to add you to many mailing lists from which it will be inconvenient to unsubscribe. Thanks, as always, to my engineer, Jeremy Dalmas and my editor, Andrew Marino. If you like today's show, it would mean a lot to me if you broadcast it from a boombox while you're walking down the street. And when people say, hey, what's that? You look at me and say, hey, that's Converge. It helps people find us. How's the show going so far? I want to hear from you. Email me, Casey at TheVerge.com. I'm at Casey Newton on Twitter, and you can tweet about the show using our hashtag, Benghazi. If you want even more of me in your life, I write a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy called The Interface. You can find the link at my Twitter bio. And until next time, the Convergitron 5000 is closed. Game over. One more time, let's hear it for our first sponsor, Republic. Republic lets anybody anywhere in the world invest in promising new startups with as little as just $10. Head to republic.co today to get started. That's republic.co.